I think in general, it's um, like, I think we always tend to look back and think, um, while this person did really well and got to this place, everything must have been rosy and great. But I think there's a lot of ups and downs along the way. And that first part of meeting was just one example. Hello and welcome back to the Arena Podcast by Coffin Fellows, where we dive deep into the stories of some of the most fabled names in VC. I'm your producer, Nihar Nilakanti, and this podcast is hosted by Jeff Harbach, CEO of Coffin Fellows. Joining us in today's episode is Ernestine Fu from Allsop Bluey Partners and a Coffin Fellow from Class 17. We can't wait to share her story with you, so let's get right to it. Welcome back to the Coffin Fellows Podcast. We are so excited today to have Ernestine Fu with us. Ernestine Fu is an investor at Allsop Louis Partners, an early stage venture fund focused on cybersecurity, big data, and hard science companies. She led her first investment within two months of joining the firm. Committed to public service, Ernestine authored the book Civic Work, Civic Lessons with former Stanford Law School Dean Thomas Ehrlich. The book discusses how and why people of all ages should engage in public service. Ernestine started the nonprofit Visual Arts and Music for Society, served on a corporate philanthropy board for State Farm Insurance, and sits on the advisory boards of various philanthropic organizations, including Presidio Institute, Women and Girls Lead Global, Asian Pacific Fund, and Ad Council. Ernestine completed her BS and MS in engineering at Stanford University, where she was awarded the David M. Kennedy Prize for the top thesis in engineering and natural sciences. Born and raised in Los Angeles, Ernestine enjoys racing Miatas, designing women's coats, and cooking in her spare time. Ernestine, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And Ernestine, you are a fellow from class. The great class of 17. Boom. It's awesome. Um, now, listen, I I just can't let this go. We have to say, Ernestine enjoys racing Miatas. you got to tell me about that. Yes. So I'm not very good at it, but... Occasionally, I go to the racetrack, and Miatas are actually the best for racing instead of, you know, like the fancy Lamborghinis or anything like that, since you could really perfect technique and just um, get the thrill of driving fast. That's incredible. So let's talk about, first, let's talk about Allsop Louis Partners and and the work that you're doing there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the investments you've made, some of the things that get you really excited at in your job at Allsop Louis Partners? Mm-hmm. Um, so I started at Allsop Louis in 2011. When I first started, my role was focused on um, typical venture role of sourcing deals, conducting due diligence, negotiating term sheets for financing. As the year has evolved, uh, my role also evolved in terms of also taking on board seats, you know, representing the firm in our startup investments, and also being a lot more operationally involved in helping our founders build their businesses, um, sometimes in the role of chairman or executive chairman. Um, So a lot of that also includes, for instance, helping founders with developing their product roadmap, building demos and prototypes, um, striking partnerships with larger tech companies like the Googles or the Facebooks or the Samsungs, building out sales teams and figuring out the path to monetization um, when the company previously had zero revenue, 
um, hiring and firing employees and um, just overall developing the overall strategic vision and direction of the company. And you've been with Allsop Louis now for about seven, eight years. Tell us you know, what brought you to Allsop Louis. What was it about that partnership and the, the people that you work with there that made you want to join that firm? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know anything about venture capital when I first started. Um, thought that I could make a difference by going into policy mm-hmm. and working in DC and focused on public service and civic engagement initially. There's one of the founders of Allsop Louis. His name's Gilman Louis. Um, he's the Louis of the firm. He previously started a venture fund called Inkutal as its first CEO. So basically, he was in charge of figuring how to enhance national security by connecting um, the intelligence community with promising new techs from the private sector. Um, so just to give an example, one of his companies early on was a company called Keyhole, which was a satellite mapping software that the U.S. military and security agencies used during the first Iraq war in 2003. Um, and Keyhole is now known as Google Earth, but was really inspired by his experiences and also some of the other partners at the firm who had a background in government and um, naively thought, wow, like all these government folks um, decided to end up in venture capital. And um, Alsopoli was the only firm I spoke with and um, started working there part-time, mostly out of an interest for the partners at the firm and their background in public service and government. And you've been in in, uh, in venture now for a a lot of, uh, for for many years, but also you started at a very young age. How Mm -hmm. has venture, how has venture impacted your life or has it lived up to the things that you hoped it would be? Yeah. Definitely has impacted my life a lot. Um, Never thought I would go into venture. Um, Always thought I'd go into government policy. I think the biggest thing is that just seeing the passion of the founders. Um, I get to work with really smart, ambitious, hardworking entrepreneurs every day and um, get to roll up my sleeves, help them build their companies and basically learn more and more every day on what it takes to build a good company. That's awesome. Now, Ernestine, you have done some incredible things in a very young career. Uh, I'd love to talk about some of them but and, and get into kind of what makes you who you are. So if we were to to go backwards a little bit, what would you tell me were some of the, like, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where were you born? What, you know, Tell me a little bit about your parents and what they were like. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. Um, so I was born and raised in LA and my parents came from Shanghai to the US in the 1980s um, from pretty humble backgrounds in terms of they came with only $40 and a bag of clothes and they wanted specifically to leave communist China. So my dad had graduated from high school when uh, Mao Zedong launched the Cultural Revolution. So as a result, he was prevented from taking uh, the National College entrance exam and um, suffered and endured a lot of hardships um, when he was living in China during that period with my mom as well. So once the Cultural Revolution ended, um, he was fortunately able to apply for a student visa and leave for the U.S. and get an education and really um, start a family. And um, that's where I came into the fold. Amazing. So what, when, what were some of the things then that your parents, maybe specifically your father, but also your mother, instilled in you that, that kind of formed who you are today and, and really were influential in your, in your early childhood? Mm-hmm. So education was very important um, and still is um, very early on. Um, I was fortunate to attend a magnet program in Los Angeles 
parents. And um, thanks to my parents, they basically had looked at all these different programs and they said, like, this is the best high school that's still in the public school system since we didn't have enough money and resources to actually go through the private education system. And it was a program called the Highly Gifted Magnet Program in LA, in which um, you had to take an IQ test to get in. But once you got in, um, there were a wealth of resources provided to the students in the program. For instance, we had PhDs teaching high school math for us. We had special lab equipment. We had the best coaching for all the intense and competitive national academic competitions like Science Olympiad, Academic Decathlon. And I think that experience really shaped that program specifically, shaped my life, um, I would say, in two ways. Um, The first one is I would call it serendipity of opportunity. Um, So actually, when I first interviewed um, in venture capital at Alsop Louis, the partners at the firm had actually already heard of the magnet program I was part of. And just within my forays of tech, I've also met lots of other people who've participated in or heard of the program. And then I think the second one, probably more important is um, just in terms of outlook on life. Um, The program really instilled in me and the other students early on that anyone can take an idea and make it real. I think typically we see a lot of schools and institutional learning places place an emphasis on just process and progression. For instance, you don't start a company until you graduate from business school. You can't do research until you have a PhD. Um, and typically schools really focus on you need to first get the right credentials and then you pursue the next set of credentials and move on from there. But my high school really empowered us from very early on that anyone can just take on the role from the get-go. And I think that really shaped my outlook on life. Ernestine, who were some of the biggest influences in your life? Or maybe what were some of the biggest influences in your life as you went through this high school experience? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a high school music teacher named Chris Rodriguez. And he was actually not a teacher within the magnet program. He taught music um, to all the students at the school. And in high school, I started a nonprofit called Visual Arts and Music for Society. It was all about bringing music and art to local community organizations like homeless shelters, orphanages, hospitals. And I think the biggest thing that he taught me early on was just how anyone can provide a little bit of support and that can make a huge difference. Um, So specifically, as one example, um, for the organization, Every single year, we'd organize a Halloween event for um, the local homeless shelters and orphans across Los Angeles. Um, So this one year, it was our biggest one yet in terms of I managed to get this sponsorship from CBS Studios and Studio City to actually let us use one of their film lots for holding the event. And also all the volunteers, we contacted hundreds of shelters. We found lots of community sponsors. We invited people all over the city to join this event. Um, But as the event gets bigger, it also means there's just more logistics to plan. So one of the biggest challenges was we had to move dozens of canopy tents, um, pounds of candy and cookies, bottles of face paint, and all this like Halloween um, stuff from basically our high school closets to CBS studios. And this is just one small example, but Chris Rodriguez was there on a weekend when he didn't have any obligation, it was outside of school hours, basically because he was the only one who actually was able to drive, he drove basically a dozen times back and forth from my high school to the CBS studios lot where we're having the event. 
and um, just transporting all of those materials. And I think having that support really early on, especially when you're still young, you're still scrappy, trying to make something happen, having the support in just a few hours from someone um, and that mentorship um, really made a huge difference in my life. I have to imagine that example of mentorship that you got from Chris Rodriguez has influenced how you support entrepreneurs today. Is that mm -hmm. right? Definitely. So um, I think oftentimes um, when talking to founders, all they need is just that one little encouragement, one little piece of support since starting a company, building a company is very difficult. And if you can just provide that one bit of help, even if it's just for a few minutes, it can make a huge difference. I think that's right. So then tell me, uh, you did these incredible things in high school, you decided to go to college and you choose Stanford. What was your experience at Stanford like? Um, Stanford was amazing since um, I had no idea about anything entrepreneurship or startup related. And especially with Silicon Valley being in your backyard when you go to Stanford, everyone thinks about startups, thinks about entrepreneurship. I remember freshman year of college, um, there were a couple student organizations and people were asking me like, oh, you started a nonprofit in high school. You must have come to Stanford because you want to be a founder. And I'm just like, no, what does that even mean? That sounds dangerous, risky. It doesn't sound, <laughs> doesn't even sound like business. It sounds weird. Um, so I ended up focusing primarily on two fields um, at Stanford. The first one was engineering. And then the second one was around uh, civic engagement and public service. So within the engineering school, I focused on conducting research, got a chance to work with some amazing professors and faculty members and researchers. And during my senior year at Stanford, um, ended up starting a PhD focused on researching autonomous vehicles, also tied with my passion to Miatas. Um, and then uh, the second one was just around, um, always had a passion around public service and civic engagement. So ended up working on a book um, in undergrad with um, an incredible individual named Tom Erlish. And we ended up writing a book called Civic Work, Civic Lessons Together. Um, but it was really focused on engineering and public service early on until um, I ended up being dragged into the startup world and starting to work in venture. There's an incredible quote about you from a different professor, uh, not Tom Erlich, but this is from Tom Kosnick. He says, I think Ernestine is as impressive as Bill Gates. He says, recalling how he met the Microsoft founder in 1993 when Tom Kosnick was putting together a case study. When I watch Ernestine, she always focuses on at least three things simultaneously. She gets more done in a week than most of most of my graduate students get done in 10 weeks. Ernestine, I have to, I just have that to sit here. That's an embarrassing quote. <laughs> you, he certainly thinks the world of you, as we know many people do and we at Coffin Fellows do. But Ernestine, I got to ask you. So you started a nonprofit while in high school. You wrote a book while in college. You've done, you start, you were probably the first, maybe only uh, college sophomore actually working full-time at a venture firm while also doing a full uh, course load of work. This, this shows some incredible drive, some incredible tenacity, some incredible ingenuity and creativity. Like where does this come from? What, what, what drives you? What, what are, what are you drinking every day or eating every day? Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, really, pursuing things that you're passionate about. And also the world is much smaller and more connected than you think in terms of like, they all seem like very separate things, but they're very connected in terms of 
Stanford naturally, for instance, is a hotbed for startups and founders. And it was very natural for me to start working at El Louis, but then also help build a campus program that was focused on commercializing university research at the same time. Um, for instance, like taking a class in creative writing because I was a terrible writer really helped in terms of writing this book with Tom on civic on titled Civic Work, Civic Lessons. So I think things are really more connected than you think. And um, it's, it's a small world. So amazing conviction. So let's talk about that a little bit more. First, I want to ask you, so here you are, a young venture capitalist, um, starting work when you're a sophomore, but also le leading your first investment after two months at the firm, uh, doing all these things at a young age. Were there any points in time where you were in a meeting where uh, someone looked at you and said, wait a second, what is this young person doing here and how can they be doing so much? Did you have any experiences where you were not accepted in some of the things you were trying to achieve, maybe because of people looked at you as inexperienced or young? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the venture um, world wasn't always always booming and successful as we like to rewrite history. Um, so when I first started out, I remember it was my first week at Alsop Louis and we had um, our first, I was part of the first Monday's, I it was my first partners meeting on Monday. And I thought naively, since I didn't know anything about venture capital, I didn't know about pro rata, term sheets, any due diligence, any of the VC jargon. And I just assumed, like you hear these stories about people getting million dollar checks from VCs. So I thought that was what the VC job was. So the very first time I showed up at our partners meeting, I basically had a giant list of companies that I pitched um, thinking that we should all give them a million dollars each or um, something ridiculous like that. <laughs> and um, it was the first meeting was brutal. Basically, there is a no on every single company. Um, and I thought, wow, I just totally bombed day one of work. Um, but then I think what was really helpful was um, being open to feedback. So I ended up talking to each of the partners one-on-one -on -one and just asking, like, how exactly do you decide to make an investment? Like, all of these companies seem great. Um, you know, they're promising, bright, young students, um, some PhD students, great technology. And they seem like... They seem like the type of founders we would want to back. And um, after talking to partners one-on-one, really got some more information around like the diligence process, the type of characteristics of founders um, that have been successful that we can pattern match and look out for um, and was able to learn from that. So I think in general, it's um, like, I think we always tend to look back and think, um, while this person did really well and got to this place, everything must have been rosy and great. But I think there's a lot of ups and downs along the way. And that first part of meeting was just one example. There absolutely is lots of up and ups and downs along the way. And thank you so much for sharing uh, one of yours, because I'm, I know a lot of people get into not just venture, but into their jobs and they make mistakes some lots of times on day one. And they feel like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can continue to do this, or I must be a failure at this. So Thank you for sharing that. Coffin Fellows entered into your journey uh, a couple of years ago. Tell us about what Coffin Fellows meant to you and, and how that was a part of this journey. Mm -hmm. The Coffin program has um, been incredible in terms of 
When I first started out, especially, it's very lonely being at a venture fund and being the only person in the room who doesn't know anything about VC, who's never done a deal before, um, since especially the background of the partnership at Alsop Louis includes some very uh, senior experienced founders and people who've taken companies public, people who've led venture funds before. Um, so I think the most, the biggest thing that I took away from the Kauffman Fellows was the community and being able to sit in a room and chat in WhatsApp groups and chat with other fellows in terms of their experiences, leading a first deal, interacting with LPs, looking at an LPA agreement. I think that was really helpful. Um, I remember when I first started out the modules and some people were raising funds and they were talking about how they were structuring their LPA agreements and I had never heard about an LPA agreement. And I went back to the firm the next day and I was like, hey, I heard there's this thing called an LPA agreement. Can you can you show me our LPA agreement? And I think at first the partners were like, oh my goodness, how does she know about that? And then <laughs> fortunately they were open to letting me see that. But um, I think the biggest thing has really been the community and learning from the community because um, there's just so many aspects of venture that aren't taught. Otherwise you don't learn it from school. You can try to learn it yourself, but learning from others makes a huge difference. What does the future look like for Ernestine? Now you're you're in venture, you've been doing it for a long time. Uh, what are the things that you're passionate about where if you project yourself forward 5, 10, 15, 20 years, what do you, what do you see yourself doing and what kind of dent do you see yourself making in the user, in the universe? Mm -hmm. I am definitely still trying to figure that out. So I recently read about this incredible woman. I don't think any of us can match the dent that she's made on the universe, but I'll share just because we can please outside the box. Okay. So there's a woman named um, Henrietta. I can't remember her last name, but she was an African-American woman who came from modest means and lived um, in Virginia around the 1920s, I believe. And she was diagnosed with cancer. And during her treatment, uh, the staff at the hospital took samples of her body tissue. I don't think they even asked her for permission since there weren't strict regulations around that at the time. But her samples possessed this rare and strange quality in that they could be kept alive longer than regular cells and they re reproduced rapidly. And this gave birth to a whole new cell line that's actually become one of the most important cell lines in medical research. It's the key entity for various critical vaccines, actually. She ended up dying of cancer, but um, she made this incredible dent on the universe um, without even knowing it. Um, it wasn't that she actually went out and tried to do that. And I think like in terms of how to how to make a dent in the universe, I think that's still a question that I can't answer. I think a lot of times, like just keeping an open mind, I don't think all I I don't have like some special cells or anything, but I think just keeping an open mind on what kind of impact you can make is my philosophy. So I appreciate that. That's Henrietta Lacks, I think, is who you're talking about. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Um Let's see what else. So this is an interesting question for you, but as you think about the journey that you've taken so far, um, so many people out there are going to gain inspiration and knowledge and confidence from your journey. What would you say if you were to rewind to, to be able to talk to the 15 year old uh, Ernestine or the 20 year old Ernestine, what would you say uh, to that early version of yourself as they were first trying to, you know, they're just getting into high school, 
just starting to make a dent in, in all the things that you did. What would you what would you say to those young individuals, the young Ernestines, the young Jeffs of the world that are going to be trying things, failing, trying things again? What would be your advice to them? I think keep an open mind. And um, one thing, just to give an example, um, I think it's really important to go outside of your comfort zone and learn new things. Um, so when I was in college, um, one thing I really wanted to do was learn black and white photography, for instance. Um, I was in the engineering school. I was barely learning how to write and I was foraying into this artistic venture. And just for instance, like learning photography, and this was black and white film. So actually putting in the film, like developing it in the dark room. And I think one of the things that that helped me, for instance, is we're often so caught up with our day-to-day lives. And if you, for instance, learn photography uh, correctly, you're actually forced to slow down and view the world in a different way. You start looking at things um, with amazing attention. You start paying attention to the little things. You start looking at the cloud, the sky, the trees, the sun, the people all around you, and um, really figuring out how to tell those different stories. And I think being able to slow down and also understand and try something new and different, I think provides new perspectives. Um, Ended up taking a bunch of photos of all my friends and colleagues and um, everything around me. So, The power of observation is a powerful one. If you can learn that at a young age through keeping an open mind, that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that advice. A couple couple rapid fire questions for you, Ernestine. Favorite book recommendation? Favorite book recommendation? Um, So I just finished reading Educated by Tara Westover. Um, Really powerful book in terms of the power of education. I don't know if it's my favorite book, but it's my favorite of the last five that I just read. Awesome. Optimal amount of sleep that we should all get every night. I think seven to eight hours is important just to have a fresh mind every morning. And are you following that? I am actually. Very good. Very good. And last thing, favorite exercise. Favorite exercise. Um, So I love yoga. I love going to the climbing gym. Um, Love cycling. I guess that's not really a favorite. That's more than one. That's all right. That's the, those are good ones. And clearly the, uh, the intensity rush or the, the heart rate impulse of driving Miata's 200 miles an hour down a straightaway. Yes. <laughs> Ernestine Fu, you are an incredible example to all of us, an incredible Coffin Fellow. Thank you so much for joining us on the Coffin Fellows podcast. Thank you again. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the Arena Podcast. As always, you can get notified of the latest release by subscribing to our newsletter found in the description of this episode or by visiting fellows.org. That's all for now. We'll catch you in the arena next week. Oh,